The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hello and welcome to Squawkbox. Here are your headlines today. Not backing down, the world's top central bankers stand ready to raise interest rates further, with Fed Chair Jerome Powell telling CNBC's headline Sidra panel that restrictive policies have not been restrictive for long enough. Risks of doing too much versus doing too little become more in balance. I, I, I wouldn't say they're in balance yet, but they're becoming closer to balance. We ECB President Christine Lagarde confirms further hikes are on the table, telling CNBC the central bank needs more time to assess the full impact of previous actions. We know uh, that we have ground to cover and if our baseline uh, stands, then we also know that uh, we will very likely hike again in, uh, in July. Wall Street is muted as investors digest those central bank comments, but Apple closes at a new record high just shy of a historic $3 trillion market cap. America's financial giants easily weather annual stress tests, but questions remain over the health of smaller lenders after the collapse of three regional banks earlier this year. And chipmaker Micron scores a third quarter earnings beat as AI demand surges and supply chain snarls clear. Good morning, everyone. What we told you was a headline panel coming your way yesterday, and it certainly was. It was a reset again of some of those expectations around monetary policy. The new word coming through, restrictive. The restrictive territory must stick around for much longer. So let's just get into the weeds on what we heard yesterday as more tightening is on the cards for global monetary conditions. That's what the world's top central bankers have told CNBC's Sarah Eisen at the ECB's Central Banking Forum in Sintra. However, the leaders of the Fed, ECB, BOE and BOJ also signaled they're confident they can hike rates without causing a recession. Fed Chair Jerome Powell said there could be further hikes to come for the world's largest economy, depending on the data, after the central bank paused its tightening path at its last meeting earlier this month. The first question was, how fast should we go? And we went pretty fast. And we got to a level that, is, that we believe is restrictive. We're in restrictive territory. If you, if you take the federal funds rate and you subtract you know, some forward-looking measure of expected inflation, you'll get, you'll get a significantly positive real rate, meaning we're probably in restrictive territory. So, and, that, and I, think, I think we have steadily slowed the pace of our moves, and it's appropriate to do so for one reason, because, you know, we, we, the more information we get, the better decisions we'll make. The, the, risks do, the risks of doing too much versus doing too little become more in balance. ECB President Christine Lagarde struck the same tone on being guided by economic indicators, but was more explicit about the central bank's next move. We are data dependent. Uh, we will decide on a meeting by meeting basis, but we know uh, that we have ground to cover. And if our baseline uh, stands, then we also know that uh, we will very likely hike again in, uh, in July. CNBC's very own Sarah Eisen then asked Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey why the Monetary Policy Committee had decided on this month's shock half-point rate hike. The UK economy has turned out uh, to be much more resilient, and that's a good thing. I mean, there's many good aspects to that. But what goes with that resilience is signs of uh, a very tight labour market, 
which is which is showing through in, in pay, uh, pay awards, uh, but also showing through. I mean, we've got a, we have an unemployment rate of three point eight percent, which is historically right at the low end. So that resilience is coming through that way. But when we looked at the, again, to Christine's point, when we looked at the data, because we too are being driven by evidence at the moment, the cumulative data, both particularly on the labor market and on the the inflation release we had, which to us showed clear signs of persistence, uh, caused us to conclude that we had to make really quite a strong move at that point. It, it, It was justified. On the opposite end of the scale, Bank of Japan Governor Kazuo Ueda explained why the bank is sticking to its ultra-easing monetary policy. Although the headline rate of inflation is above 3%, which is well above the 2% inflation target, uh, we think underlying inflation is still a bit lower than 2%. That's That's why we are keeping policy unchanged at the moment. Even though we've seen measures, including including core, right, higher than the yeah, 2% the level. Yeah, the core is, is also above 2%. But let's say, uh, let's look at uh, the rate of increase in wages, which is uh, an important determinant of underlying inflation. It has risen, but is now running at around 2%. Now, if you want a 2% inflation rate, wage inflation that's consistent with that would be slightly or well above 2%. The irony is we talk about more restrictive policy, all of the policymakers throwing off ties, being slightly <laughs> less restrictive yeah. there in that panel. <laughs> Unrestrictive policy is <laughs> right. what they, they had for that panel. Right. And in terms of the optics or the signaling functions here, but on a serious note, I think this was a big one for markets and we didn't actually get market reaction uh, across the board. You know, we saw yeah. fairly stable equity markets. We didn't exactly see a huge rally in the dollar and on bond markets as well. So it's sort of a ripple as investors digested. Again, what they're hearing, I think the market participants, some of them have been on the page of listening to the Fed instead of this pivot that everybody's priced into markets. I think we've seen a shuffling back towards a position while we are higher for longer. Others are still looking at the scenario of more rate hikes from here. The question is, what do you do with this? Because the tone that came through yesterday is that we're still hiking or we're restricted for longer, but we're not going to cause a recession. The only one that really put it out there was the ECB's, Christine Lagarde, that it was a possibility, but it wasn't really the baseline scenario. Mm-hmm. Jay Powell very much on the page that there's some resilience there. And if you think about what he wants to see changing the economy, it's the jobs data. He wants to see that changing so we get ahead of the wage price spiral and it uh, takes some of the heat out of the services sector. But if you look at markets, every time we've had strong labour data that has crossed, it has been taken in some ways as a positive catalyst because it's a cushion for any slowdown in growth. You take that cushion away, do markets feel as confident that we're going to be skirting recession as what they've been? And that's the data point that I think they'll all be watching out for quite quite a lot, especially over the next couple of months, because I, I still wonder where exactly this positivity in the market sort of comes from, where later on in the year they're expected to find some sort of cuts somewhere. And I'm just, I, I still wonder when the message is, is clear that this is really where we are. I mean, yesterday we were speaking to Kaylin Birch as well, who had noted that they even consider that uh, rates may stay at those levels or at peak levels, whatever those may be, for at least a year. So to consider a hike coming through at the end of this year would really mean that a change in how that inflation expectation is looking over the next couple of months is really going to move very quickly. Or that jobs market stops being uh, that pillar, as you note, 
that that really keeps things up. Yeah, if you think about the job cuts uh, story that uh, we're going to see some sort of cuts across the board that's going to take some of the heat out of the labour market, we've seen a little bit of that anecdotally, right, in some of the major corporations, but not enough to move the needle on the labour market to the point where you're still getting very, very firm numbers. What, uh, 339,000 jobs clocked up in May. The Fed wanted 150,000, so we're nowhere near that level at this point. So we're not getting back to the rate that would be seen by the Fed is cooling off on the market. So that is still a problem. When it comes to this whole conversation about uh, are we pivoting, uh, where are we staying on rates, are we even cutting at some point, if we're still lobbying a couple more rate hikes through the system in the United States, we're not even into that conversation yet. Yeah. You know, and Jay Powell was saying, look, I'm not taking consecutive rate hikes off the table. July starts to, to look, of course, like a live meeting now. The next outing will be the September meeting as there's nothing in August. So that could be the two consecutive meetings we're talking about, which really takes us through into uh, the final stretch of this year as we start thinking about whether there's anything coming in 2024. So it is a lot of water for investors to cross at this point on markets. Yeah, and, and those growth numbers as well become ones that they'll kind of uh, look at. And, and as you mentioned, recessions not necessarily big in their purview, but having to balance that out for them, as, as I suppose one of the factors that they've noted. But they seem fairly confident that things will be okay. And even if there is some sort of recession, which as, you, as we note, even in the Eurozone, there is one actually, technically, right? But nothing that... Uh, that I suppose uh, Christine Lagarde doesn't feel uh, un- unhappy with in, in some context and is expecting to kind of have happened at this stage uh, of the situation. Just how much more is always the question. We still have more ground to cover. That was the message yeah. from Lagarde yesterday. Uh, not seeing enough tangible evidence in underlying inflation, domestic prices in particular, stabilising and moving down. So I think that's what a lot of the hawks have been concerned about. They believe there is some change in the narrative, but they need com- more confirmation the data that uh, the inflation uh, conditions have started to turn. Just when it comes to the Bank of England, I think it's worth touching on what uh, Bailey was also saying after we had that 50 basis point mm. rate hike last week. I mean, the scenarios that we're setting up for, just to recap and take you back to where we were, you know, we had the hot inflation number, the market starts talking about three more rate hikes, potentially maybe even five. Yeah. Bailey looks at the three and says, let's get going, let's just do the two all at once. And we'll see but what the, the market says. Right, yeah. But the language yesterday was uh, as to what's coming, you know, what's priced in now in terms of more rate hikes, what we're seeing going to six and a quarter percent by the end of this year. He's saying, we'll see. Uh, well, we'll see. So yeah. that is saying... Let's see if the market is right. Or he's hoping that perhaps the work that he's done is enough yeah. because clearly we start to talk about growth being derailed if we keep on moving very much higher in terms of this territory. Yeah, all is behind the curve, pretty much. Just very quickly, even on the, the Japanese side of things, of course, that, that surge, I mean, they're wanting this verbal warnings even from the Japanese governments, uh, the Japanese government this week, that the move may have been too rapid with regards to even the, the yen's move uh, there, reaching that 144.62 even yesterday. So that is also going to be one to watch out for. Now, if that isn't enough central bank action for you, we'll also bring you more from Fed Chair Jerome Powell That's as he speaks live at the Bank of Spain. That's it to happen then at 8.30 CET. Stay tuned to CNBC for that one. It's one for those macroeconomists and uh, watchers this week. Central bank watchers, a ton on the tape here in Europe, live in our time. Let me take you to US markets and that reaction that we saw yesterday. A lot of talk around the journey, still around rates, and that just derailed some of the exposures, as you can see. NASDAQ's still higher, and you can uh, can take that into uh, consideration on the back of what has been a very strong run so far this year. 
Micron technology again rising after the bell. This around the AI story, we're up about a, a, almost a third of a percent on that market. But elsewhere, there were some casualties. NVIDIA concerns around the uh, trade story with China. We were crossing, uh, this was crossing yesterday and we were talking about, and you can see that was the undermoving stock for the likes of the NASDAQ and the S&P 500. So taking away from their fortunes, the Dow showing some slippage as well. 74 points in decline or two tenths of a percent. But worth noting, there was one big stock that did do a lot of moving and perhaps did provide a prop under these markets. Apple closed at a record high for the second consecutive day on the cusp of a $3 trillion market cap. Its shares rose 0.6% to $189.25, giving the tech giant a market value of $2.976 trillion. Apple did trade briefly above that $3 trillion level on the 3rd of January, but is yet to close the session above that mark. Shares are up around 46% so far year to date. So as we talk about trillion dollar cap stocks, uh, we're now talking about one that's potentially within that $3 trillion mark. To Treasuries, a quick look at the trade that we saw playing out yesterday with all of this uh, conversation on stage in Sintra about where we're going on markets. And uh, you can see 2.73 on the two-year now. We, we did briefly tick higher than that, 2.78, I believe roughly at one point. Uh, so we drifted off that higher level, but still a slightly firmer territory at the short end. At the long end, as we talk about inversion, still in the prospects of a recession, 3.72%. Dollar crosses uh, today. Uh, dollar is uh, showing a little bit more strength on these major crosses uh, against the pairs over here, sterling and euro. Uh, both on the back foot, uh, slipping by almost two tens to 126.17, giving up the 109 handle on the euro trade as well. For the Japanese yen, 144.50, roughly the level, dollar gaining versus the yuan. So it is a greenback story this morning. And to WTI Brent Gold, the early commodities trade is weaker, so we're seeing some slippage here. And perhaps that is a read-in on the interest rate rhetoric that it uh, could take away from the commodities picture, the demand story we're seeing. Brent down 73.5, 69 the level for WTI. A safe haven trade of spot gold too as we talk about the yield story. That is detracting from bullion 1904. So we have seen a decent drop on this trade today. Let's get to the Asian markets. The early trade is slightly patchy across the board. But 1.4 down on the Hong Kong market versus a gain of half of a percent on Japanese stocks. So it is a mixed bag. Australia just close to the flat line. Chinese stocks not moving too much. So choppy old trade across those Asian stocks today. Arabile. Karen, well, we do have some uh, flashes then coming through with regards to Renault's auto industry. So they're coming out with uh, some uh, operational and financial outlook for the company, upgrading its financial outlook for the full year. In fact, saying that it now sees operating margins at between 7 to 8%. They had previously said it would be 6% or a little bit higher than that. So now upgrading that figure operational free cash flow superior or equal to 2.5 uh, a billion on that one there as well uh taking a look just at this uh, also the operating margin superior to seven percent as we said for the first half of 2023 the opera- operating uh free cash flow around 1.5 billion for the automotive sector just for that first half so an upgrade of its 2023 financial outlook. Yeah, and that is instrumental because the industry has been talking about the problem with margins being squeezed at this stage uh, amid the price cuts, the very strong story that Tesla has set the scene uh, by trying to really throw it to the competition with these uh, declines in prices, trying to squeeze margins for competitors. So I think the fact that Renault can bolster that margin a little bit at this stage Mm. 
is quite key. Yeah, I mean, I think all the autos are kind of going to look at this and think to themselves, well, perhaps demand does begin to grow. There is maybe somewhat of, of a help with, with China reopening. I mean, we had seen that lackluster growth out of there uh, post, uh, post them reopening, but that could change. Yeah, stock up uh, 9% so far year to date. Coming up on the show, the results are in. We'll break down the Fed's stress test results next and tell you which lender would suffer most in the event of a severe economic downturn. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. U.S. banks passed the Federal Reserve's annual stress test on Wednesday, with all 23 lenders weathering a severe recession scenario. Results showed the top banks would be able to maintain minimum capital levels and continue lending to consumers and corporations, despite projected total losses of $541 billion. This clears the way for banks to issue share buybacks and dividends as early as Friday. Shares in major U.S. banks rose in extended trading after the report, but some critics warn the strong results should not be seen as an all-clear signal given the recent regional banking turmoil. CNBC's Leslie Picker filed this report. All 23 banks that participated in this year's stress test stayed above their minimum capital requirements. The Federal Reserve said that these banks have enough of a cushion to absorb $541 billion in estimated losses from the hypothetical scenario to continue lending. The hypothetical scenario in this year's test involved a severe global recession with a 40% decline in commercial real estate prices and a 38% decline in housing prices. The unemployment rate rises to a peak of 10%. Of those $541 billion in projected losses, 100 of that came from commercial real estate and residential mortgages. The Fed said that bank in this year's test hold roughly 20% of office and downtown commercial real estate loans held by banks. Among the banks tested, Capital One would see the highest projected loan losses, largely from credit cards and CNI loans, followed by Barclays US, Goldman Sachs, and Citigroup. Under stress, the aggregate common equity risk-based capital ratio that exemplifies a cushion against losses was projected to decline by 2.3 percentage points to a minimum of 10.1%. Fed Vice Chair for Supervision Michael Barr said in a statement that the results confirm the banking system remains, quote, strong and resilient. But he adds that the stress test is only one way to measure that strength and they should remain humble about how risks can arise and continue our work to ensure banks are resilient to a range of economic scenarios, market shocks, and other stresses. Now, the results of these stress tests greenlight capital return for banks, which will announce their own plans for buybacks and dividends as soon as Friday after the close. Although analysts say management teams are expected to be quite conservative due to the uncertainty on the regulatory front. For CBC Business News, I'm Leslie Picker. 
Just to pick up on uh, Leslie Picker's uh, story there, what we've got really a sign that uh, there could be a confidence booster for some of the dividends and payouts for some of the big banks, and that's key. I mean, they've lost their way to an extent after the back of the, the SVB story. Investors completely fell out of love with the story around the yeah. banks that had been sitting well-placed at the start of this year. But uh, effectively, it means you can sort of rub your hands together with Glee that Goldman's uh, JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley, Bank of America could see some better numbers when it comes to those payouts to shareholders. But for me, what was not under the microscope was still a concern. I mean, the banks that have suffered on the back of the SVB story have been in that regional banking space and they were not stress tested. So in terms of just how resilient the system is, I think we've still got question marks. The other point I wanted to make was around the so-called hypothetical scenario. There were all sorts of concerns even before SVB that this was not fit for purpose. And just to pluck out the numbers here, withstanding unemployment rising to a peak of 10%. We've got unemployment in the United States sub 4%. We were just having a conversation that there's too much heat in the employment market. So that is not even fit for purpose when we talk about stress tests in a hypothetical at the moment. Uh, The other point here, uh, what you've seen when it comes to uh, some of the other metrics, I mean, the housing market uh, falling, that's just found a flaw recently. So, uh, you know, we're looking in the wrong area here. And the other point is around the criteria that a lot of people are concerned around. This is the commercial real estate market where you could see CRE prices plunging 40%. Some believe this is a possibility. There was actually a report by Morgan Stanley Wealth Management recently saying that real estate, this part of the real estate market, could suffer a crash worse than 2008. And you could see that drop of 40% because of hybrid working conditions, but also the rolling over of interest rates. So effectively, there is still a problem. But bulk of these mortgages, these commercial mortgages, actually reside elsewhere in these regional banks and beyond. So what exactly were we stress testing this time? Yeah. You're, you're stress testing the ones that have obviously complied with things. They're, they're not going to get to a 2008 moment again, right? They're not going to be headed in that direction. You, you speak about these regional banks and the regional banks, which include the likes of US Bank, uh, Truist, Citizens, M&T, as well as Card Center and Capital One, um, have the lowest stressed capital levels hovering between 6 and 8%. I mean, that's... That's just not enough, you know, in, in, in any kind of market uh, as well. So particularly in one where they're going to face the situation they face, particularly in March, which can happen again, which definitely can happen again and can actually be very hurtful and harmful because that is a larger base of consumers uh, that uh, that's said to get impacted uh, in that sector, as we saw as well in, in March and February. The key, I think, and how this stretches across to our earlier conversation about monetary policy is that the banks have been looking at just what the tightening mechanism is coming through the major banks, just how much capital they're holding on, how are they trying to reduce their risk-weighted assets at this stage. And some of the banks, no doubt, will have to be conscious of that because of their exposures at this stage. Also, I think worth noting that we were discussing this yesterday, that there is some distaste for where the stress have gone, this wash-up from the financial crisis. Year after year, it gets tweaked. We have these hypothetical scenarios. Do they really actually genuine give give us a sense of whether these banks will go the distance if there are problems? Is there an Achilles heel for these banks? And Michael Barr, I think, again, touched on that yesterday. It's not the only measure. Perhaps there should be others. And this might just be the early salvo looking at, can we just think about it in reverse? What would take down a bank? How do we take down a bank? And if we do find the answer to that question, can we bridge it? Can we fix it to ensure there isn't something that takes down a bank? That is actually more important than anything else. I mean, you you did touch on it yesterday, but I think it's more important just because we don't actually know what, or we shouldn't know anyway, what the next 
situation is that's going to break down the bank structures. And if you then find out what is an Achilles heel, you're able to plug those holes even before it all happens. So at the very least, you would have covered most of your bases at that point. Uh, but clearly, we're still covering in many ways the same problems that we've had in the past and assuming that they'd show, their, show themselves up again. And that's not to say they wouldn't, but it could be in a different form. The funny thing is it all boils down often to risk. Right? Yeah. Very simple, it's risk. And if you look at what the hypotheticals try and do, they try and come up with they think what they think is the, the worst scenario that brings the most risk. But for a lot of these banks, it isn't exactly what is prescribed in the hypothetical. Yeah. So we're saying just with SVB, it was, in a way, mispricing of risk around uh, effectively the maturity profile on its own balance sheet, too much risk, the concentration in one sector, uh, skewed across to Switzerland. Again, risk-taking behaviour of banks taking on certain clients, meaning that there are a ton of legacy issues that kept on jumping out of the closet for the bank. Yeah. So again, yeah. it goes back to risk, very simple, but that risk does have very different characteristics for each lender. Yeah. Can you cover that risk? That is certainly the question on those bank stress tests. Well, nonetheless, President Biden made his economic pitch to voters in Chicago on Wednesday, defending his record of what he is calling Bidenomics. The president says his policies are helping Americans and tackling inflation, but he still faces headwinds as he begins his re-election bid. Now, Alice Barr has the latest from Washington. President Biden on the road today in Chicago, touting his economic agenda, recently dubbed Bidenomics. The economy that grows the economy from the middle out, the bottom up, instead of just the top down. When that happens, everybody does well. The president highlighting low unemployment, easing inflation and investment in infrastructure as he's running for a second term amid low approval numbers. A recent NBC News poll found just 38 percent of Americans surveyed approve of his handling of the economy, down sharply from two years ago. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy calling Bidenomics an economic disaster. He's made inflation up by all of his new regulations made it more competitive, less competitive for us. President Biden also fighting growing concerns about his age. A new NBC News poll found 68 percent of Americans surveyed are concerned about the 80 year old president's mental and physical health. The White House trying to reframe and refocus on his experience as he's increasingly made his age a punchline. I know I don't look that old. I know. I'm a little under 103. Think about it. I know I'm 198 years old. Amid legal troubles for his son, President Biden today forcefully denied he was involved or present when Hunter Biden is alleged to have texted a Chinese business partner in 2017, claiming to be sitting with his father. Were you sitting there? Were you involved? No, I wasn't. No. Hunter Biden's attorney called it a period of turmoil and addiction for his client, who has agreed to plead guilty to two tax-related misdemeanors. President Biden has long stood by his son. President Biden also headed to a fundraiser today in Chicago and another tomorrow in New York as he tries to pick up steam on a fundraising blitz with the 2024 race for the White House ramping up. In Washington, Alice Barr, NBC News. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.
Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC. <laughs>